Hi, everyone. This is Brietta, and welcome back to I've Been Thinking. I'm always excited when I have someone on the platform that I feel like you're going to enjoy and learn from, especially because I enjoy this person myself. So I always feel like if I enjoy this person, you all will as well. And you know that I started this platform really as a space to talk about all the things that I am thinking about and just currently with the way our world is going and the way our industry is going. I have been so fortunate to have fellow creatives and fellow artists and actors and actresses who are willing to step into the space and um, share their thoughts and, and their heart and, and, and help us engage in what I hope is a conversation that will ultimately lead us to a place where we find solutions as a community. So I am so excited to have Susie Weisberg on the podcast today. Say hi, Susie. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Brietta. I am so happy you're here. Before we jump into the conversation, just tell people a little bit about who you are, um, anything that you want to share. Totally. Um, well, first, thank you for inviting me into this space. I'm truly so excited to be here and have this dialogue with you. Um, this is all very new for me, and I'm nervous and will probably mess up. So please feel free to call me out. Um, but you know, I'm a theater artist like you, and I have a huge passion for telling stories that affect and make change, create a different angle or viewpoint for people, or just bring joy to an audience. Um, I'm from the Boston area. I graduated from Point Park in 2018, and I've been in New York pursuing a performing career for about two years now. And that's where you and I met in New York. We met in a class at The Growing Studio. And I um, we started following each other on Instagram, as is the way to show that this is someone I want in my life after a certain <laughs> after a certain point. So I I love who you are as a person. You're, you have such a genuine way about you. And I even in, in what you were saying in your intro, I think that is the place that we all have to come to these conversations, which is like, I'm not going to get everything right. I only know what I know in this moment. So, um, so I really respect and appreciate the fact that you're just open to talking. Totally. And likewise, and I respect you so much and agree that, you know, we kind of hit it off and had that little spark. So I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you. <laughs> well, I know, you know, I, I don't think there's any way around it. Our lives are being consumed by what's happening, um, not just in our country, but really has just spilled over into the whole world. And I'm wondering, you know, as a non-person of color, how are you navigating everything that's happening in our country? Um, how is that resonating with you? Are you able to put it into a specific thought or how are you, how are you conceptualizing where we are right now? <laughs> So this is a huge question. <laughs> totally. Um, the, the short answer, I guess, is that, you know, I'm really learning that it all starts within, um, yeah. within ourselves and society. You know, this country has gotten by on its racist mentality baked so deep within both public and private institutions. And, you know, it's quite literally abusing and killing its citizens. Um, so there's that. <laughs> then, right, right. Personally, in a broader sense, you know, I'm acknowledging and unpacking my own thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate the racism, especially within our industry. Um, one way that I've found really helpful in doing that has been creating smaller spaces um, just to 
process and marinate in the flood of information that's being put out through social media, which is amazing, but also super overwhelming. Totally. Um, so I've been talking with one of my best friends who is also white pretty much every night to discuss what we've learned that day and share resources and check each other as best as we can. And that best gets better daily because having private conversations about what I'm learning and how I'm mistaken and acknowledging my biases, et cetera, has really helped to continue to move forward in the process of learning towards active allyship without burnout. Yeah, Um, (laughs) right which is so easy to fall into with so much coming at us. Um, And then, you know, on the other front, I'm so grateful to people like Rachel Cargill and Sonia Renee Taylor and Marie Beecham and, you know, these incredible black voices um, and countless others who are taking the time to publicly educate and putting that energy in when it's not their job at all. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm rambling here. I'm <laughs> no, 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 no. getting very passionate. I, I think one of the things that you said that I think is absolutely key. And I actually think that that is something that a listener could take away, which is creating smaller spaces mm-hmm. to really process what you're thinking. Because to your point, there's, there's a flood of information. And one of the things that I've been having a conversation with other black actors, other brown actors, is like, if you haven't lived racism, to be confronted with it in this way could easily be overwhelming, right? And, and, and so you're trying, because your heart is good and you want to be a part of the, the solution, you're taking in all of this information, but it's, it's the type of information that is brutal when you're really confronting it on a second-by-second second basis. And yeah. so I love that idea of having a smaller space with someone that you love and someone that you trust, that you can mess up and say the wrong thing and it won't, and it won't be used against you in a way that will keep you motivated to keep learning. So I love that. Totally. And, you know, I also think I'm personally less worried about the idea of something being used against me if I'm saying it wrong and more worried about being harmful because, you know, it's also waking up and being a part of this conversation in real time is navigating that in a way that isn't harmful and isn't offensive or oppressive or, you know, promoting my own white tears, as we like to say, and white yeah. guilt, and just trying to truly be a conversation, part of the conversation and, and learn and listen. Yeah, I think that that's such a beautiful way to put it. And I think that that is sometimes the barrier that I have found, you know, I think innately when you're a part of the theater community, you are, you're, you're so used to being a part of a diverse community that I think it took people by surprise how deeply embedded some of these racist, biased, prejudiced ways of, you know, running the systems or making decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that took people by surprise. So I think you articulated that well, that there is this sense of waking up to a world that feels very foreign than what it was, you know, literally a day ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think that our, our responsibility 
um, as just human beings take race out of it is to be gentle with each other. Um, and to one of the things that I keep saying to people over and over again is assume good intent, mm. right? Like I'm going into every conversation, every interaction, assuming good intent that people are going to stumble. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to say things based out of my hurt or out of my anger that aren't the best reflection of who I am as a person. And I want people to be forgiving to me. So I'm, I'm definitely trying to do that for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've also been participating in a lot of lectures, um, such as the one that the Broadway Advocacy Coalition did the other day. Yeah. As well as, you know, of course, doing my own research through books and plays and movies and Instagram and all of these amazing tools that we have at our fingertips. Um, But as someone who's relatively new to the industry who doesn't have the same 25 years of Broadway experience that Audra McDonald and LaShawns and Tanya Pinkins and all of these incredible voices who took the time and the bravery to share their stories. I was so odd, but also am so disappointed by how an industry that claims inclusivity is so behind. And to hear these firsthand recounts on Black artists, you know, crying into each other's arms from the news and then having to run back on stage or being shut down by a company they're a part of when asked to make a statement regarding Black Lives Matter because it's too political or having their hair touched and having no one to turn to. It's just, I mean, it's it's so powerful to hear these stories firsthand and... Yeah. And I think, and I think one of the things that you mentioned, and this maybe is the answer already before I ask the question, because I keep asking, you know, how does our community, a a community of creative, you know, people, artists, um, actors, dancers, performers of any, how do we help address, you know, systemic racism and bias? Like, how can we be a part of that? And I think maybe what you're mentioning is probably the first step, which is just having these kinds of conversations, right? Mm. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, as long as we're industry specific, we have this huge culture of manifestation. Um, And I think that when we as artists, no matter who we are, walk into a rehearsal room or even an audition room, we feel and need and desire to take space and lay claim. Mm -hmm. And I think that that air of competition can, now that I'm reflecting on it, can really inhibit the ability to share space in a collaborative spot. Um, And I lost my train of thought. (laughs) No, no, that's okay. Actually, when you said that, it brought to mind something that I I was just having um, on the podcast uh, yesterday, I think it was, I was speaking with another actor um, of color. And one of the things that she said that your statement literally just reminded me of, she was saying that this idea of scarcity around, you know, auditions and roles and all of that has really probably fostered a a community where we can't support each other the way Mm. that we would have liked to, that maybe would have um, helped us to stop perpetuating what, what the, what the culture has become. And I, and I get that from what you're saying, because I do think that one of the, one of the advantages, at least in my opinion, that we have as a creative community is that we're not afraid of human emotion, 
right? Yes. Like it's our job to feel and to be in touch with what we're feeling and, and where we are. And I think that that gives us a step ahead of some people who may not be used to sitting in uncomfortable feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that maybe that's an advantage that we have as, as creatives and artists in, in trying to tackle something that is really, really difficult and emotional. Totally. And, and, you know, piggybacking off of that, I think that collectively taking up and infiltrating predominantly white spaces to facilitate and participate in conversations, especially where systemic racism can perpetuate itself and speaking out to create adjustments is imperative in terms of, you know, addressing and catalyzing real change because white spaces are where it is so easy to let things slide and be complacent. (laughs) And, you know, I think even small wins in those conversations can create later, larger conversations and new viewpoints, kind of like, um, when you're a kid and you know someone says something to you offhand and you still think about it like right. 10 years later. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like you were saying, um, being able to, to make, to not tokenize, I mean, in an effort to combat the idea of being performative, um, because with the influx of social media advocacy, I'm personally constantly checking myself and learning what's honest and what's performative. Right. And like I went to a protest and I wasn't sure if I should share that publicly because why? Right. And I'm donating, but I've learned that I don't need to share that. And it's that line between actively working and not feeling the need to prove it. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I think it's something that we're all guilty of because we, we all want, you know, there's this very innate human part of ourselves that wants to be a part of the collective. Mm -hmm. And so you, you just want to join in and you want to say like, I'm there too, I'm doing it too. And to your point, I think we all have to be looking at our actions through the filter of what purpose does this serve? If it's yes. really just to be my way of, uh, you know, assuaging my guilt or it's my way of saying I'm, I'm one of you and not one of them, is that really helpful to the conversation? And I, and I think we're all guilty of it. Quite frankly, we, you know, we're a social media culture. So mm-hmm. everything we do is performative to a certain extent. Right. Um, so that's hard. <laughs> so that's hard to detach from from a, a specific issue. But I think you're right. I mean, I just think it's about asking those questions, like, why am I posting this? Why am I sure. sharing this? Sure. Um, and in an effort to combat that, I've been trying to share things that teach me something and help me take accountability in the hopes that you know it might reach someone else in a similar position. Yeah. And I think, like you were sort of saying earlier, we also need to accept and promote the discomfort of stepping back and letting black voices be centered, not added in as token or a, you know, quote unquote diversity hire, because first of all, racism obviously can't be fixed with diversity training. It has to be part of the everyday system to dismantle what we have white people have built and perpetuated. Um, And, you know, the discomfort of not owning a space is which is something that unfortunately we've become used to yeah. is equality and equity and to replace that word i think of discomfort with equalization yeah totally and i think you know you're hitting on something that i think is really one of the the areas of tension around you know being a non black non person of color which is 
I can imagine, and again, I, I don't know it as my lived experience, but I can imagine that there's this sort of innate discomfort around this idea of privilege, right? Because you you don't necessarily see your existence as privileged. You just see it as your own. And so to have the whole world all of a sudden be pointing the finger at you and saying like, oh, you're living a privileged existence and it's to the detriment of other people. I can see how immediately people would be offended by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think, you know, one of the things that I've been committed to doing is really doing less telling and doing more asking, right? Like asking mm-hmm. questions versus telling people, you know, what what my perception of it of this is. And I think one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was like, I know what this time frame has meant to me as a, a black artist. I'm curious, what what has this meant to you? This this time that we're finding ourselves in? What has that meant to you? Sure. So, I mean, in terms of COVID-19, you know, it's certainly a tough period everyone's going through, particularly within our niche theatrical universe. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's disheartening and anxiety inducing and there's so much general unknowingness. Yeah. But in a way, it has also been nice to kind of step back and regain appreciation and accept this unexpected time as a gift. Um, and, you know, rest and respark and do all the things we've been meaning to do. But that being said, given all the goings on in the world, I think that while there's no silver bullet, it has been a silver lining that mm-hmm. we're able to address and hopefully make significant change to the intense systemic pre- prejudices that are so ingrained in our industry. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I, you oh, know, one of, the thing, one of the things that you said that I, I was speaking with someone about, and I'd be interested to hear what your take is on it. I said that I I believe that the fact that COVID-19 and the way it coincided with what we're seeing around racial justice, I think it was sort of a perfect storm in the sense of people have never, at least in our generation, have never slowed down enough for something to maybe have this kind of an impact. I don't know if George Floyd's death and all of the subsequent things that happened would have hit us as a, as a nation as strongly if we weren't already sort of on pause with mm-hmm. everything else that was going on. I think it gave us space to, to feel it more deeply than maybe we would have at another time in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, and I, I wanted to ask you, you know, this idea of being an ally, um, I don't know. I I struggle a little bit with the concept only because I think that for the most part, I don't think people have ever felt that they needed to be an ally for black and brown people. Like, like when we hear ally, I've always associated that with, you know, um, being an ally for the LGBTQ plus community or being an ally for maybe communities impacted by socioeconomics. I don't know that people have ever thought of being an ally to black people in their lives or brown people in their lives. And I'm curious, has this changed the way you look at being an ally, redefined it maybe? Yes, absolutely. So Going backwards a little bit, I totally agree with you on the why now. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a good answer. And I think the points that you made are key to a lot of it. And I think, you know, we've always been aware that there's this problem. But I think not having 
any other option but to pay attention to what's happening and to truly learn the details that we don't know and aren't institutionally taught mm-hmm. has caused people to create this space to learn. Yeah. Um, and now that we're finally paying attention, my hope is that, you know, we're not only aware, but can't adjust back to complacency. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in terms of being an ally, I mean, yeah, I used to show up and think that showing up and being conscious and kind was enough. And mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. Um, and I'm learning so much every day and intend to keep doing so and not, not for a pat on the back, but for the possibility to step back and amplify and truly have an equitable experience. And I think in order to do that, we need to step up because as white people, we are all to blame and that's just the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that ally is a term for me to give myself. Um, yeah but I am doing the work of anti-racism with, you know, being conscious and kind as the bare minimum. And then understanding that as someone in a position of privilege to leverage that and drop the ego and reframe being called out as a good thing and as a learning experience is so important. And, you know, part of the reason I'm so excited to be talking with you is that while it's 100% not anyone's responsibility to educate me except my own, you inviting me into your conversation today has so much potential, I think, to invoke change and provide invaluable firsthand information on both sides. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm doing the learning and the groundwork. I'm reading White Fragility. I devoured such a fun age and I'm watching 13th and acknowledge that I have the privilege that prior, I quite honestly, to be honest, I had no idea what the 13th Amendment even was, which is unacceptable. Well, you know, I think I think the beautiful thing about what you just said, and it actually, I've never thought of it this way, which is why I love, love, love having conversations like this. Because mm-hmm. the way that you phrase it about maybe being called an ally is not a title that you can give yourself. And, and I, I haven't thought of it that way because I think that so many people, you know, we live in a world that's very label hungry, right? We want to slap a label on something so we know how to categorize it. Yeah. And I think that everyone in an effort to not be on the quote wrong side of this issue mm-hmm. wants to embrace this idea of being an ally. Um, and I think what you said really has made me think about the fact of, you know, is it less about being called an ally and more about doing the work of it and then letting that label come if it comes, but not doing it just so that you can sit comfortably in being called an ally, which I think is really important. I do too. I think that's where the danger can live. And, you know, we're living through a time with so much significant change that can frame revolution and massive shift in their can be an upheaval, I think, if we can galvanize and keep our feet on the gas and don't let this just be a trend or a moment because no one has time for that. There's no energy for that left. Um, And I think, you know, we can only get better by making mistakes and moving forward with the new knowledge. And we as white people, me speaking for myself and the rest, need to be putting ourselves in spaces when it's appropriate and not infiltrating, of course, that we don't own and facilitate and feel that discomfort or equality, like I said earlier. Um, I think it's a focus shift also from being accustomed to white spaces because we should not be holding power all the time and owning space. And that has to change in order to find a place of equity. So then it's how do we get there? What do we do? I love that. And I love... 
I love what the way that you're framing that because equity is going to feel like discomfort, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's such a a beautiful way of putting it because I think, you know, it's something that, uh, again, I think maybe being artists, we have a little bit of a leg up in that we're used to being uncomfortable, right? Like auditions in and of themselves are like weird (laughs) and (laughs) and not normal, right? It's not normal to have to go into a room multiple times a day or a week to put yourself out there. Like no other industry knows that. And yet that's, we've accepted that as an uncomfortable normal. If you're a dancer, uh, one of the things I always laugh about is, you know, I consider myself to be, you know, a singer actor, but I'm always fascinated by my dancer friends who would, you know, lean into the label of dancer first because because they are used to discomfort in a way that I am not, right? Mm. Like they're used to like, yeah, you know, toes are bleeding, like <laughs> bruised from head to toe, but like normal. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so I think that, you know, this is something that we have the advantage on that, you know, being uncomfortable for us, we know can be part of the good thing, right? Like totally. it's not something to be afraid of. And I think the way you've said that is so beautiful that like in the beginning, it's going to feel uncomfortable because it's foreign, mm-hmm. you know, being in spaces where, like you said, where you don't hold all the power, that's going to be uncomfortable. But I think if we can get comfortable with it being uncomfortable, that we'll begin to see the beautiful benefits that come from that. Yeah. And it's, and the whole idea of inside out, you know, it's putting people on stage in even if the cast of a show is predominantly black or people of color, it's, it's the stage managers and the hair and makeup people who know what they're doing in those situations and the producers and the people behind the scenes so that it's not, so that the show isn't being run with puppets. Yeah, totally. And, and I think, you know, you mentioning that is part of what I'm hoping for the future. Mm. I always like to, I, I, I tend to lean into positivity only because it's the only way I know to survive in a world that's going crazy all the time. Sure. And, I th- and I think that one of the things that, my, that I'm hoping for for the future is that you, you hit on it earlier that this won't be a trend that Mm -hmm. people get tired of when the world goes back to some semblance of what we've known it to be before. But I'm also really hoping for, to your point, that this idea of inclusivity, that of having a seat at the table, of having an equitable equitable experience will not just be about those who are on the stage, but all the people who are behind it. You know, to have more, you know, producers and directors and casting directors and agents who represent not just Black artists, but like the diverse, you know, multi-experiential world that we live in. And that's what I'm hoping for, for the mm-hmm. future. I'm curious, what are, what are your hopes for the future? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think I want to start by saying more important than hope, I think, is a promise yeah. to speak up every single time and to learn how to create a safer and more inclusive space with not only representation, but equity to its core, like we're saying. Um, and while hope and positivity, you know, I have so much of that, but that can also easily become complacency. And we have to make this a creed and a lifelong endeavor to facilitate true change. Yeah. Um, you know, we as white folks can't support and not follow through 
And I think that there's a conversation to be had around hoping that moving forward, rooms will not be all white cis men. (laughs) And while there's a high likelihood that there will be a room of all white men who are maybe aware, but still running that room, Mm -hmm. my hope there is that if I am invited into that space or any of us as white quote unquote allies, like I said, I'm hesitant to give myself that word, but people who want to be a part of the conversation and the change, Mm -hmm. we now recognize our duty to combat moments when colleagues might feel oppressed or laid out, othered, extricated, tokenized in any way, and to hear them and listen to them and use our voices in those moments because the industry is going to change, but it's not going to happen overnight. Nothing happens overnight. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... I think that the best way as white theater makers to move forward is to never allow the transgressions we're hearing spoken out loud now to happen again or go unchecked ever. And the hope comes from that we can all stand by what we're saying. And, you know, I'll mess up, I, but I won't allow myself to be the person who waits for other white people to speak up. I want to use my white voice as a catalyst for other white voices to support Black, Indigenous, and people of color's voices in the future because it takes one voice and one person to create an environment of advocacy. I love that. I love that, Susie. That's so well said. I, I, I'm so appreciative of your heart and, and, and sharing, you know, your thoughts in this space. To me, you know, <laughs> I don't know any other way. And, and there are lots of ways, but for me, I've never found any way to process anything outside of having conversations. It's a part of being a storyteller. And Mm -hmm. I find myself every single time after one of these conversations, feeling, uh, feeling a little bit more deeply, um, how lucky we are to be a community of, of creative people. I have never been more proud to be an artist um, even though we're in the midst of what seems like upheaval, because in in the midst of trying to break down this system um, that that isn't giving everyone you know the same opportunities, we're finding people like you and others who are willing to sort of take on the challenge and and in whatever way that means. And I think that that's an encouraging place for us all to sit, which is like we're not siloed in this. It's a big issue. It's going to take time, but we have a community of people who are interested in doing the work. And, and I don't think you can, you can minimize that. That's something that we have to keep running back to as our, our, as sort of like our North star that we want to do the work, whether we get it right. Um, we want to do it. We believe in it strongly enough to doing it in, in doing it. And so I'm so thankful for your time, Susie. I really appreciate it. I'm so thankful that you invited me here and that we are able to have this conversation. And I agree with everything you just said. Um, And I'm so appreciative and grateful of your heart and, you know, how, how kind you are and how thought provoking all of these questions have been. And this has been really, truly wonderful. Fantastic. Well, everyone, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. As I've always said, you know, creating spaces where we can think a little bit more deeply, feel things that we maybe have not felt before are, in my opinion, the ways that we're going to start moving the dial towards change. So I thank you all for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I can't wait to talk to you all again. Bye. Bye.